Hey everybody, this is Jarrett checking in from Dallas. I have been traveling, so I haven't had a chance to get my normal setup together and put a proper podcast in your hands, but I wanted to get this to you right away, so that's what this is. Uh, I'm excited to check this uh, message out along with you. I haven't listened to it yet, although I did hear Hannah's reference to DC Talk at the end, and I find that hilarious and ridiculous. Uh, So you'll have to listen out for that. And uh, as far as announcements go, I'm just going to let Hannah talk about the big announcement. On the 19th of March. Does that say the 19th? The 19th of March. I wrote it. I should know what it says. Um, We are having our three-year-old birthday party for different church. And by a three-year-old birthday party, I mean we're having a party that three-year-olds would enjoy. So expect some ridiculous games. Um, We're having it during service. So if you have people who are like, no, church is terrible. I cannot do that anymore. Well, just bring them because all we're doing is having a potluck and playing games, and I might talk to you for like five minutes about how much I love you so much. Uh, But I will not preach at you that day. So sign up to bring something. We can't have a potluck if nobody brings any pots or luck. (laughs) Um, So there is a very official different church sign-up sheet that is a piece of notebook paper next to the coffee pot. So whatever you are famous for making, bring that. Unless, of course, you don't have time or energy, in which case, bring a thing of Publix fried chicken. No one will be mad at you. Um, so bring up, bring up, bring, sign up to bring something on that day. It's only a few weeks away. I'm very excited. And also, we have small groups going on right now. There are two in St. Pete. There's one in Tampa, and there's one online. You can go to diff.church, and it looks like this fanciness. Yay! <laughs> Did you know my blind faith? Is that what faith in God is like? It looks like this. Nothing happens. <laughs> and then we're all like, God, why didn't you answer me? Um, there is events. You can sign up there. You can sign up for groups. All your information is there. Just go there. It's on your phone. I know you have one. Cool. I'm so excited to talk to you today because we're going to talk about the downfall of humanity. <laughs> Actually, we're talking about Adam and Eve eating the non-apple, because it wasn't an apple, it just has a fruit, but that's just a pet peeve of mine, because I'm a theology nerd. But we're going to read it in the Bible first, and then we're going to talk about it like we always do. So this is what Genesis says about the situation. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but God warned him, you may freely eat of every every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. The Bible is very dramatic. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that God had made. And one day, the serpent asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, she replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced... She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And at the moment their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame because they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, I assume most of you have heard some version of this story about how they ate an apple or some other non-specific fruit and then the world was ruined forever because of it. Um, this, I'm so excited to get to talk about the downfall of humanity today. 
Um, it was just a fruit. It was not nuclear war. It wasn't, you know, us being mean to it. It was a fruit. That was the downfall of humanity. I think American evangelicals, specifically among the Christians, have been taught to read this story like this. Adam and Eve are fresh off the assembly line. They are shiny, new, perfect, first human beings. They're like superhumans. God tested these flawless, perfect creatures with one command, only one, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just to make sure they mean business and would actually listen to God. But they failed, and they ate the fruit, and then they lost their own perfect human status. And not only that, but that of every human ever since. Pretty popular understanding. Has any of you heard a story about Adam and Eve different than this? Oh, wow. We're so lucky, aren't we? (laughs) This is a very popular understanding of Adam and Eve. And Augustine, who lived like 350 years after Jesus, helped it along by being like, not only did you inherit your sinful nature from them because they ate a fruit, you also inherited guilt. And this is why everyone is bad forever and ever. Amen. Now, this may come as a shock to you, but not everyone has read this story like this. Um, American evangelicals do not have, what's a good way to put it? The truth about the truth on all things. So, for example, the Eastern Orthodox Church has never read the Adam and Eve story like this, and I think, frankly, if you read it at face value, it's hard to see how that reading even makes sense. I think if we... See Adam and Eve not as a fall down from some kind of superhuman perfection, but a failure to grow up properly into wisdom. They're not perfect superhumans. They're young. They're naive, like children. They were meant to grow into knowledge, but they were tricked into following a different path. So what was the command? They can eat any tree except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I think raises an obvious question. Why that tree? What exactly is wrong with the tree of knowledge of good and evil? How about a command not to eat from the tree of death and disease or the tree of lust and lying? Like the tree, why? Okay, if you ask that question, then another question immediately follows, which is what is wrong exactly with knowing the difference between good and evil? Isn't that what every parent wants their child to know? The difference between good and evil, why would eating from a tree that gives you knowledge about good and evil carry the death penalty? Let's think about it from one more angle. The serpent, the snake, it says, he was more crafty than any other animal. Or another word for that is like shrewd. It's the same Hebrew word. And someone who is shrewd has like street smarts, right? Like they're not taken in by card tricks on a corner. They are not naive. They're not simple. They know how to get what they want. And poor Eve shows up on the scene, and this snake has her confused in like two verses. He says like one sentence to her, and she's like, I'm sorry, what happened? You said what now? (laughs) That can't possibly be true. He's like a veteran car salesman. Like if you show up to the car dealership and you're a first-time buyer and you just have dollars, but no idea what you're doing, oh, that's a bad day for you. (laughs) You are going to be convinced into something you can't afford, probably, with warranties and, uh, like, extensions and 
bonuses of, that you do not need for your life, and hidden fees out the wazoo. They're going to be like, yes, it's $12.99.99 plus $17,000 in hidden fees. And Eve, poor Eve, she's not shrewd at all. She's never even talked to anyone except Adam. <laughs> and she shows up, and this snake is like, Eve. She has no idea that he could possibly be lying to her because she doesn't understand what lying is. Okay? He has no idea what a half-truth is. And the serpent says, trust me, lady, God's lying to you. The only reason God doesn't want you to eat of the wonderful, beautiful, magical, miraculous tree is because he knows when you eat it, you will become like God yourself. You will know good and evil. Now, Prior to this encounter with the snake, Adam and Eve. Also, I should say, it's not just Eve who gets wrapped up. The Bible literally says he was there the whole time. Why is Eve getting all of the crap for centuries of human history? We're like, Eve ate a fruit, and everyone's terrible now. And Adam was there the whole time. Okay, he could have been like, I don't know. I don't know if this is a bad idea. He was also like, oh, this seems, he's, wait. What if God is lying, Eve? We should try. You try it first. <laughs> we'll, I'll see if you actually die. <laughs> they have no reason to consider eating the fruit before they meet the snake. They're existing peacefully in the simplicity of life, like everything was created good. They had no reason to question. They had no reason to doubt. God is good. The world is good. They are good. The creatures is good. Every need that they have is met, and all is well. And then there's a snake who comes in and is like, God told you if you eat a fruit, you will die. That's just not true. You're not going to die. God knows you'll be awakened by the tree. You'll know good and evil, but you won't die. Okay. Is it true that they died? No. <laughs> if you keep reading, they eat the fruit and they actually don't die. Um, the ground does not swallow them whole. Like They're not like struck from lightning. With, from heaven, nothing happens, right? And I wonder, like, why the magnitude of this statement? And then I think about my toddler. Like, I tell her, the stove is hot. Do not touch it. It will burn you. Big boo-boo. <laughs> no touch stove. And she's like, okay, okay. And then she did touch the stove, and she got a giant boo-boo on her hand. And it was a tragic situation, mostly for me, because I had to change her dressing <laughs> multiple times a day. And now she's like, stove, no touch stove. And I'm like, yes. Is it true that the stove is always hot? No. Can she understand that? No. She doesn't understand that she has to look for the little red light in like the top left corner of the stove to be like, it might be warm. She doesn't understand the concept of like, let me hover my hand an inch above the burner to, before I melt my plastic spoon. She has no idea. To her, the only safe interaction with the stove is don't touch it. It will burn you. And her only experience with the stove has been she touched it and it burned her. Is it a lie that the stove is hot? No, but she's not ready to hear something else, right? But if she could comprehend, right? Like if someone else came along and was like, hey, the stove actually isn't hot. It won't hurt you. And then she like touched it and it wasn't on. That would like devastate her, <laughs> right? It would 
would be like she just standing on a rug and I just just pulled it out from under her. What does it mean? What if that's not true? Then nothing else my mom ever told me is true. And I think we've all been in this situation like someone in an instant is not the person we thought they were or some deeply held belief, something you've rooted your identity in. Maybe is suddenly questioned, or you have this beautiful fortress of faith and someone pulls out one of the bricks at the bottom and then it all collapses on you. Of course you all know that feeling. We've all deconstructed. (laughs) Everything Adam and Eve are understanding about the world is suddenly like at stake. Did God lie? What does it mean if God lies? Why would God lie? Is God not who I thought God was? And I think in the face of this kind of horrifying new information. The desire to know more is not a bad thing. It's arguably a credit to Eve and Adam to be like, is it true? Let's find out. Let's experiment. Questions are good. Pursuit of the knowledge of good and evil, also good. Feeling betrayed when there's a new truth that's unveiled, understandable. I think what makes the moment so tense is that their very trust in God like hangs in the balance. And what a clever half-truth it was that the serpent spoke. Yes, if they eat of the tree, they will be like God. Which is what God wants, eventually. I want Nova to learn how to use the stove. I want her to be able to be a functioning human being who can cook a meal. Eventually, I'm going to teach her how to do it safely, right? God did not command Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil because it's wrong. It's not that God didn't ever want them to know, but they needed to go about it God's way, and they didn't. They took a shortcut. And God was taking them slowly and carefully to say, hey, you're not ready for that yet. Don't do it. It wasn't age appropriate. They weren't mature enough. They couldn't handle the truth. Eve eats the fruit, Adam eats the fruit, and you know what? The snake was right. They didn't die. The ground did not swallow them up. They did not get struck by lightning from heaven. Their eyes were open to the knowledge of good and evil, and then their questions turned into more questions, and more questions, and more questions, and more questions, and more questions, because that wasn't supposed to happen. It was supposed to make their lives easier and better and they were supposed to be like God and everything was supposed to be happy like it had always been. But guess what? Knowledge about good and evil makes a mess out of what is simple. Knowledge sometimes makes boundaries really unclear. Real knowledge about good and evil makes it tough sometimes to tell good apart from evil. It comes with a realization that there is almost always never only one right answer. It comes with the knowledge that certainty is a myth. Maybe Eve looked at Adam for the first time and realized he was capable of doing her great harm. Maybe they both became aware that despite the fact that God had created them good, that they were capable of doing wonderful things and terrible things, and knowing the difference between the wonderful and the terrible was not always going to be clear. And as soon as they eat, they're like, oh no, we're naked. (laughs) Has that ever struck you as odd? They're like, I ate a fruit. Oh God, I'm naked. (laughs) That's so weird. Of all the things that could have happened to them, they care about the fact that they're naked? There's no one around. Who cares? 
Again, I want you to think of a young child. Young children love to be naked. They'll run around the house naked. Every time Noah gets changed, she's like, naked. (laughs) In fact, if Josiah is changing her out of the bath or like in the morning, she will come running out of her room to find me and go, naked baby. (laughs) Just completely naked. She loves it. Children are naive, right? They don't know they're supposed to care. They don't know they're supposed to cover up. They're like, yeah, I don't have to wear clothes. This is the best thing ever. I'm not restricted by society's crippling expectation. No, they don't have any of that. They're just like naked. (laughs) But imagine if you took a three-year-old who's like, yes, naked is best. And then you gave her a magic cookie that turned her into a 25-year-old. But without all the experience that comes between. She just now has all the knowledge of a 25-year-old. What do you think she would do? run into her room and scream (laughs) and probably slam the door and hide under a blanket. And that is essentially what Adam and Eve are doing. They run into the bushes and they search for anything they can find to cover up suddenly that they're things that they are suddenly aware of that they had no idea about before. Without the maturity that comes from like obeying God and living life, they couldn't handle the knowledge of good and evil. They weren't ready for the truth. And I think when our understanding of the world or God or ourselves is in question, we don't know where to turn. And some of us have turned with our doubts and our feelings of betrayal and anger and questions to our faith communities. And what breaks my heart more often than not is the stories that I hear from people It's in that crucial moment when the door gets slammed in your face. And statements like, these get set. You just don't have enough faith. Stop asking so many questions. Why are you making waves? You are trying to split the church. You could be in danger of losing your faith. There must be sin in your life, that's why. Can you believe that? Maybe some of those have been said to you. All of those have been said to me, just so you know. (laughs) I'm quite a heretic, (laughs) according to certain people. And I think it's really tragic because when we approach our faith communities, like with our souls in our hands, choosing to step forward and try to make sense of what is happening, even though... It is terrifying. Even though you're not sure if you can trust God in that moment and the door gets slammed in your face, it feels like God is the one slamming the door. Not humans. And the question of whether or not to eat from the tree was full of all these feelings of betrayal, and contradiction, the desire to grow, and the struggle to make sense of things. And at the deepest level, the issue is trust. Can we trust God while pursuing the truth about God and ourselves? Even when it doesn't feel good, neither Adam and Eve take their questions to God. They're not like, hey, I have this weird information, and I don't know if I like you right now, but can you explain your side of this to me? No, they run away. They don't trust in that moment that God will be honest with them or even have their best interests at heart. 
I can't. I mean, I've been there. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times I have been there. Not trusting that God will be honest or even have my best interest at heart. And this is an origin story that was written like thousands of years ago. It might as well be written yesterday. We are the same humans. We have always been. Y'all can come back up here. Outside of trusting God, the infinity of knowledge of good and evil, just in our own selves. When, I mean, have you ever had a moment where you come face to face with what you are capable of? After saying, I would never, I would never do that, I would never say that, I would never be in that situation, I would never act like that, I would never think like that, I would never believe that, I would never do that to people that I love, I would never, I would never, I would never, and then you do it. (laughs) And then you're like, oh no, oh no, oh the black hole inside of me, how do I face this, right? And it's enough to make us hide in the bushes like Adam and Eve, searching for scraps to cover all of these things about ourselves that we feel shame about. It's enough to make us look for the fastest and easiest way to cover up and reject being vulnerable, reject being authentic with each other, and involve ourselves instead in policing right and wrong in other people. Because it's much easier to kick people out of faith communities sometimes violently, because that's the only way we can make sure that the space is safe for us Neat enough, tidy enough, has enough clear rules. There's got to be an easy way to tell who's in and who's out because I don't want to face me. And we seem harm. We, when we run into that in us, we start seeing harm everywhere. And in order to protect ourselves, we exclude others. Instead of healing ourselves, We exclude others and we treat people with questions that maybe we have that we don't want to face, like they're hostile invaders. And how, like how, how do you live in the tension? Because it's not easy between good and evil and not always being able to tell which one's which. Right and wrong and not being sure what path to take. Healing and pain, wanting to be healed but not wanting to face the painful process of healing. Questions and answers, where the answers you find lead to more questions, and then the cycle begins again. Like, how do we trust God as people and as a faith community in the space in the middle? Is it even possible? Yeah. It would be terrible if I was like, no. (laughs) No, let's not go home (laughs) and be depressed. (laughs) Yes, of course it's possible. Will we mess it up? For sure. (laughs) We will mess it up a thousand times, but it will still be beautiful and meaningful and worthwhile in the process. In the words of that immortal Christian band, DC Talk. It's too bad Jared's not here to hear this. He would appreciate this reference. What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my step and I make fools of us all? Will the love continue when my walk becomes a crawl? What if I stumble? What if I fall? All I have in response to that is the words of the poet Erin Hansen, who I feel like just the Spirit of God gave this to her. What if you fall? Oh, darling, what if you fly? Holy creatures of the earth, be bold in your faith. 
God has given us what we need to turn this ruined landscape into a beautifully restored garden. For the sake of all our neighbors, for the sake of ourselves, the Spirit sends us with power. May we be humble in repentance, courageous in hope, and seek the renewal of the world. Amen. Thanks for being here. See you next week. Bye.